a slave trader turned pastor John Newton wrote this. And I've quoted this a lot, but not this whole section in length. It says this, I am not what I ought to be. Oh, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I, I abhor what is evil, and I would cling to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon, soon I shall put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. John Newton was changed by the grace of God a slave trader to a pastor. All godly change is only by grace. Paul writes of his own calling as an apostle in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of all apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. For by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me is not in vain. Paul knew that he was called to be an apostle by a, as a gift unto the Lord. And yet, even though it was a gift of grace for, for God to call Paul to be an apostle, it didn't mean that Paul did not work hard. Listen to the whole verse. Now, we're often familiar with it for the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God I am what I am, but listen to the second half for the whole verse in its context. By the grace of God I am what I am. And, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Paul was an apostle by grace, but he labored, he, he toiled, he, str he strived to grow in that grace. My prayer for you this morning is that you be challenged to labor to grow in grace. Grace and labor, they seem like a contradiction, but I pray how you, you'll let you see this morning that grace-fueled effort will lead you to Christ. Two major points this morning, two big headings. The first is the why of spiritual disciplines, the, the why of spiritual disciplines. A discipline in general is to train someone to obey rules or a code of behavior, uh, using punishment to correct bad, bad behavior. In our society, discipline is often kind of viewed with negative lenses. Now, the reason why people do not like discipline is because they forget the purpose of discipline. Discipline can be hard, challenging, tiresome, but it can produce something wonderful. Paul wrote to a young Timothy while he was representing him to the church of Ephesus on what to avoid and how to live. This is where our scripture text comes this morning. In 1 Timothy 4.8, he, he challenged, exhorted Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. Have nothing to do with um, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And there were certain false teachers in Ephesus that were encouraging abstinence from marriage, an extreme asceticism, meaning beating their body and avoiding all things that God created to be, to be received with thanksgiving. Timothy was to avoid these, these silly myths, but to train himself in godliness. 
Godliness is really referring to a God-honoring life, a life of, of righteousness and upright living. The, the prayer that Lindsay prayed for us today, that we would be a congregation of righteousness and godliness. That's what Paul wants of, of Timothy. Godliness implies a close relationship with Jesus Christ. To be godly or to have godliness is to know Christ. Godliness comes to growing in one's relationship with the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. So as we begin this new year, we think about how we want to structure our own lives. We think about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are the practices found in the scriptures that promote spiritual growth in the believers to grow in the gospel of Christ. Now it's important to remember when we start thinking about the, the, the actions and the habits and the work and the, the labor it entails to, to grow in Christ that we, we don't forget the purpose. We labor to grow in godliness. All the, the labor that I'm going to talk about the rest of this sermon is that we would grow to love Christ more. That we would grow to, to honor Christ more with our lives. He, he died to save us from hell. He paid our penalty on the cross. We must realize the hope offered in Jesus Christ is glory. So before we get to the, to the what of spiritual discipline, let's just stop for a moment and just think about the gospel. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, can I just say thank you for coming? It is rare today in our, in our time that people would, would take a time out on a Sunday morning to consider deep things of God. Let me just quote an old Puritan of how he encapsulates the gospel. And just let it wash over you who may not know Christ, but believing friends, I pray that this would wash over you, that we would reflect again on the beauty of our Savior. He says this, the obedience and death of the Lord Jesus laid the foundation and opened the way for the exercise of this great and sovereign act of grace. The cross of Jesus displays the most awesome exhibition of God's hatred of sin. At the same time, the most august manifestation of his readiness to pardon it. Pardon, full and free, is written out in every drop of blood that is seen, is proclaimed in every groan that is heard. O oh, blessed door of return, open and never shut. To the wanderer from God, how glorious, how free, how accessible. Here, the sinful, the vile, the guilty, the unworthy, the poor, the penniless may come. Here, too, the, the weary spirit may bring its burden. The broken spirit is sorrow. The guilty spirit is sin. The backsliding spirit is wandering. All are welcome here. The death of Jesus was the opening and the emptying of the full heart of God. It was the outgushing of the ocean of infinite mercy that heaved and panted and longed for an outlet. It was God showing how he could love a poor, guilty sinner. What more could he have done than this? The reason, the fuel that motivates us to labor for Christ is this glorious gospel. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins and God sent his son to rescue us. To take us from the domain of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of the beloved son where we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. So as we think about labor and the work that is entailed for us to, to become like Christ, let us not forget this glorious gospel that we, that we inherit simply by grace. If we forget the purpose, 
The spiritual disciplines become an end rather than a means to an end. They become hard, tiresome, becomes drudgery. But if we keep in sight the glory of our Redeemer, that one day we'll see our Savior face to face, we will find joy in the journey. Friend, Jesus is worth it. The grace, fueled labor it takes to truly know Jesus is worth it. So I'm going to give a lot of things that I want you to be doing in your life. And it may seem like works. And there is work in the life of a Christian. But never forget that it is fueled by the grace of God. Even the song that we just sing. We can't follow the Lord unless God gives us the strength to follow Him. We don't have the ability to follow His commands outside of His grace. So anytime a preacher starts preaching about what you should do in your life, it's always dangerous that you hear the what we should do, not the why we should do it. And I don't want you to miss, we do it because Jesus Christ loves us in the cross. Second heading, or can't most of the sermon, the what of spiritual disciplines, the what of spiritual disciplines. These are the activities, the habits that God uses to grow his people in grace. Now, as I said, grace is a gift. We cannot earn it. Although we cannot earn it, we can place ourselves in its path, like Zacchaeus on the tree and, and Bartimaeus on, on the road. That we, They place themselves in the path of God's grace, and as should we. We cannot expect to grow and become like Christ without labor. This is the greatest lie, of, I think, of the American church. We think that once we, we walk an aisle and we, we become a, a Christian, we make our, our commitment, and then, hey, life is going to get better. Things are going to become easy, and I'm going to naturally become more like the Lord. And that happens through time, but God wants us to labor, to, to run hard after him. God is knowable, but he provides us means to know him. We exercise these spiritual disciplines to grow in godliness. So the first thing that we want to wrestle with, really three big headings, the Bible, prayer, and fellowship. The first one is the Bible, right? The God of the universe speaks to us in his word. God creates life with his word. Now, now he creates new life in his word. So when, when the word of God goes forth, right now new life is happening. You're moving from, from death to life. One inch, uh, one degree of glory to the next. One of the greatest resources for our spiritual growth is the word of God. The challenge for us today is that we have unfettered access to the word of God. We have so many different versions of the Bible. We have study Bibles. We have a plethora of options on our electronic devices to find the Word of, of God. And we're reminded even having, having Jennifer here, who's translating the Bible, so, so other nations may have the Word of God, but we have an abundance of resources, riches of having the Word of God at our fingertips. And because we have it at our fingertips, we are tempted to tragically take it lightly. We too easily forget and neglect the Word of God. Now, I don't want to create some kind of legalistic Christian mandate that you have to read your Bible every day. But if we neglect the Word of God, we're turning our backs on a wonderful means of God's grace. So what is God asking us to do with the Bible? I'm going to give you four things that he wants us to do with the Bible every day or regularly. Number one, read. Read the Bible. D.L. Moody's mother, I love how he gave, she gave him a Bible, and inside on the cover it says, uh, the Bible will keep you from sin. 
and sin will keep you from the Bible. If we're honest, I think all of us have fallen into the sinful neglect of the Word of God. We too often simply blame busyness. Our life gets busy. But our business, what it does, it reveals our heart. We don't make time for God's word because, if we're honest, we don't desire to truly know the Lord. Now, we may say we want to, but the things that we really want in life, we make time for. Maybe this morning, the first thing all of us need to do is just repent. And just confess, Lord, I want to grow in you. Forgive me for neglecting your word. You, the, the creator of the universe, my savior who died for me, who rose for me, who's, who's coming again for me. God, forgive me for neglecting your word, for valuing my, my smartphone or Netflix over the very word of God. Forgive me, Lord. Remember, church, discipline yourself for godliness. Do not let guilt keep you from the word of God. Confess your neglect today and turn back. I cannot tell you how many times in my own life I've fallen off track of reading the Word of God. And you know what keeps me from going back to, to the Word of God? My own guilt. I feel the heaviness of knowing I should do that, so I just push it aside. Don't do it any longer. Ask the Spirit of God to help you prioritize the Word of God in your life. Now, there are a number of resources that can help you aid in your personal study. Reading plans, Bible apps reading groups, but I think David Mathis said it right in a wonderful book, Habits of Grace. He says this, At the end of the day, there is simply no replacement for finding a regular time and place, blocking out distractions, putting your nose in the text, and letting your mind and heart be led and captured and thrilled by God himself communicating to us in his objective written word. Friend, there is no substitute to unhindered time in the Word of God. Put your nose in the text. Read. Secondly, study. Now, I start raking my yard in July. The leaves start falling in July, right? And I actually enjoy raking and, and blowing leaves in my yard because it looks awful when you walk out there. And in about 30 minutes, my backyard will look pristine, right? You can see immediate progress. It's very different if you go outside with, with your shovel and try to dig up a tree stump, right? It's not quick, it's not easy, it's laborious, it's hard. And I think there's the difference between reading, it's kind of like raking, right? We can get a lot, we can get a lot of stuff done in a very short amount of time. But sometimes we need to take out a shovel and we need to dig. It's harder, it takes more time, and yet without digging we'll never find the diamonds. Sometimes God wants you to dig in the Word of God. He wants you to look in your Bible and see the cross-references. He wants you to study and go, and go deep. I'm so grateful for many of you who have that desire in this church, who are not satisfied with a mere curse for reading, but they want to dive into the text. Trace biblical themes, Genesis to Revelation. The greatest truths that you will know about God, hear me, are the ones you discover yourself. If you take time to read God's Word, his, his eyes, your eyes are opened by His Spirit to, to understand and know Him more because of your own study, your life will be drastically different. You will never forget those truths. But not only read and study, we want to meditate. Meditate on the Word of God. So the first birthday, Ellen and I knew each other. Uh, she, she invited me over to her house. She cooked me dinner. 
a wonderful, wonderful meal. Then right after that, she, she, she treated me to this fancy dessert, dulce de leche crepe, at this D.C. restaurant called The Saint, right? We sat down, had our, had our meal. My fork was in hand, and the food arrived. It was warm, beautifully displayed, and I just started shoveling in my mouth. I was like, wait! <laughs> what are you doing? You cannot eat this kind of dessert like that. And she taught me how to taste the textures and, and, and really absorb all, all the flavors. That's really how we should approach the Word of God, right? There's sometimes we read, sometimes we study, other times we just meditate on it, right? We want to get every, every piece of flavor, every texture, so, it's, so we can understand its full beauty. Don Whitney defines meditation, the deep thinking on the truths and spiritual realities revealed in Scripture for the purpose of understanding, application, and prayer. God commands Joshua, a young man, to take over for Moses. He says, be strong and courageous. And was he, how, is Moses, or how is Joshua going to be strong and courageous? It says that he will meditate on, your, on, on the law of the Lord day and night. Or the blessed uh, one in Psalm uh, chapter 1. He's called to prosper. Why is he blessed? Why does he prosper? By meditating on the word of God. Psalm 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Remember, the word of God is not an end. It is a means to an end. The word leads us to God. The reason we slow down and we ponder and we chew and we, we think deeply on the Word is that we can know Christ. We can become like Christ by meditating on His Word. The great Puritan Thomas Watson says, the reason we come away so cold from reading the Word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. In our frantic, busy world, Imagine the immense spiritual benefit by slowing down and savoring the beauty and the majesty of our great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, as displayed by the Holy Spirit in His Word. How, how much more do we need that today than ever before? Lastly, memorize. You knew I was going there, those who know me best. Uh, one way to, to meditate on God's Word is to memorize it. We want to write the Word of God upon our, our heart. I have found no greater practice in my own life, my own spiritual disciplines, than memorizing the Word of God. I want to encourage you to do so. Right? Now, those of you, I don't have time to go into full detail of why, why it's beneficial. I'm happy to talk about it if, if you want. Uh, but trust me, it is extremely valuable. Here's a very simple way to do it. You, you recite a word ten times, focusing on a different word each time you recite it, or each time you read it, then you recite it. So, very simply. Rather, train yourself for godliness. 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 Each word emphasizing a different, each time emphasizing a different word and writing it upon your heart. If you want to take a challenge, uh, there's sheets in the back, and I'm going to challenge some of the groups I'm leading this uh, semester to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. If you want to join that group, you're welcome to. There's a, a reading uh, or a memorization plan in, in the back. 
So we want to take the Word of God, we want to read it, we want to study it, we want to meditate on it, and we want to memorize it. The Bible, big part of our spiritual discipline. The second big part of our spiritual discipline is prayer. Prayer. So if the Word of God is God speaking to us, prayer is us speaking to God. I think we should err on the side of reading God's Word, because I think it's better for us to, to hear from God rather than God merely to hear from us. But in prayer, He takes our will and He bends it to His will. His will. We pray so we can spread the greatness of His name in all the earth. We pray to talk to God, to relate to Him, to, to build a relationship with Him, to, to make Him our highest joy. And here is the amazing thing about prayer. Are you ready? Life-changing. God is listening. I, I, I need to repent often with my distracted mind and how often my kids come and talk to me and I'm distracted. I'm thinking about something else and I'm not fully giving them my attention, listening to every word. But listen, God is never preoccupied. God is never distracted. When you come to Him, He is hanging on every word. The Bible says He, he inclines His ear to the righteous. He is a good good father. He is a, has a ready ear and a willing heart. So when we, when we pray, there's two main ways we pray. The first is we pray in private. Private prayer is an important test to our sincerity with God. It's easy to impress with our prayers, to use prayer as a tool to get what we want. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, not the street corners, that they may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, you have they have received their reward. But when you pray, not if you pray, but when, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So what does your private prayer life look like? Very rarely... No, never have I met someone who says, I pray enough. We start analyzing our own prayer life. We could pray more with, spend more time with the Father. Do you take time to pray? Do you schedule time to be with the Lord? J.I. Packer says, how we pray is as important a question as we can ever face. Our prayer life reveals our relationship with God. If our prayer life withers, so will our walk with the Lord. So neglect your prayer at your own peril. So how do you grow in your own prayer life? Here's just a few tips. First, plan to pray. Find a time and a space where you can spend dedicated time in prayer. Of course, we're called to pray without ceasing and be praying throughout the day, but it's good to set aside a time for a dedicated prayer where you're not going to be interrupted. I was talking with a, a young man last, last uh, semester, and he, he was saying, I don't have time. I said, well, just wake up 15 minutes earlier. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Wake up 15 minutes earlier if you're having a hard time finding time to pray. You know, whatever and however, find a time. Second, just pray as the Lord taught us to pray. He teaches us in his word, uh, our Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He teaches us a model prayer. Uh, many scholars, one tested way of looking at that prayer is, is Acts, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving and supplication. So we go to God in adoration. It's really how we, how we model our entire service. You may not even realize that in terms of our own prayers here. We begin every service with a prayer of adoration. Right? We want to pray unto the Lord. 
And we confess our sins in that next prayer. We confess that we have wronged the Lord. And then we remind ourselves that we have been forgiven by the cross of Christ. Right? We thank Him for His grace and His mercy. And then we bring our request before Him. Right? In that order, as a model off of the, the Lord's Prayer. It's only one way to order your prayer life. Third, be real with the Lord. Share your fears, your anxieties, your joys, and your anger. Sometimes the greatest times of, of us going deeper with the Lord is when we are fully honest with the Lord. We have to be real with Him. He can handle it. He can handle it. He desires to offer help. He wants to bend our will to His, and He will reveal it in our, our prayer life. Fourth, pray the Scriptures. If you don't know what to pray or how to pray, take a passage of Scripture, a prayer, maybe the, some of the prayers of the Apostle Paul, and just pray them. So on the screen you'll see Colossians chapter 1. This is a possible prayer that you may pray in Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 13. This is just me praying the Scriptures. Father, fill me with the knowledge of your will and all your and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so I may walk in a manner worthy of you. Help me to bear fruit in every good work. Lord, help me increase in the knowledge of you so that I may be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might. For all endurance and patience, let me do this with joy. Thank you for qualifying me, Lord, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, I am humbled that you have delivered me from the domain of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of your Son where I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, Father, thank you for the redemption in Christ. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen. That's just taking one prayer and just praying that over yourself. You can take that same prayer and, and pray it over uh, a congregation. You can pray it over your children. We know we are, we are called to pray according to his will. And if we, we pray the scriptures, we know we're praying according to his will. And the Bible says, if we pray according to his will, he hears us and we have what we ask for. First John 5. So not only do we have private prayer, we also have prayer with people. It's a great way to pray. We're called to pray with others. Those of you who haven't come, some of the sweetest times that we have as a church is our Wednesday night prayer time. We pray for our physical needs, things that are hurting our bodies. We pray for our, our, our mission, our evangelistic efforts. We also just spend time thanking God for each other. Thanking God for what what we see happening in people's lives. It's a sweet time of, of fellowship and, and prayer. If you're going to pray with others, I pray that you do. Let me just offer a few tips. Spend more time praying than talking. I've been to a lot of prayer meetings that spends a lot of time talking and not enough praying. Sometimes it's easy to just kind of get together and just start praying. You can learn what's going on in people's lives merely by praying for one another. The second thing I would do is I'd pray shorter prayers. Right? If someone prays for four minutes, I lose focus. If someone prays for 30 seconds and another 30 seconds, I can handle it, right? Long prayers tend to, 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 to take the air out of the room in, in a matter of speaking, right? Pray shorter prayers. Um, praying can be a way you learn of what's happening in people's lives, right? I did this practice just the other day in a meeting I did. So instead of us sharing, let's just sit here and pray. And everyone just started praying. And it was a sweet time. And we saved 30 minutes. Sometimes we don't want to pray with other people because it takes a long time. Right? So instead of talking about it, let's just get to praying. Corporate prayer, as we'll see, is an early benchmark of the early church. You know, it's interesting. Historically, if you look at the, most, the least attended services in the evangelical, gospel-believing church, it's always the prayer services. People have a hard time praying, but it's powerful work 
It's fruitful work. I pray that we would be a church that's devoted to prayer. The third, it's kind of like interjection, not necessarily a spiritual discipline, but a way that the reason why we're doing this is keeping the heart. The reason why we practice all these spiritual disciplines is that we would grow in Christ. We have a desire to be mature, to become like Him. Spending time in God's Word and prayer are essential for us for keeping our hearts in Him. We want to not grow cold in our love, but we want our, 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 our hearts to be on fire for Christ. Let me offer a few practices that are not just merely the Word and not merely prayer that may benefit you. I'll go through these really quickly. The first is solitude. In our in always connected world, I think it's important to spend time alone and time in silence. Slowing down and getting away can reveal things in your life that can really help you grow. Second, reading. Reading the words of the saints are extremely powerful. If some of you desire to grow in Christ, get a good book and read. Read God's, um, what God has said through the saints throughout history. Three, learning. There are a plethora of resources at our disposal. Podcasts, sermons, free online classes, good Christian articles from reputable uh, organizations. They can all be helpful for us to take our minds off of the things of this world and set our minds and our hearts on the things that are above. Fourth, journaling. Journaling is a wonderful way to help you apply the Word of God. I don't know about you, but the things that I write down, I tend to remember. If I don't write it down, I tend not to remember it. If you want to remember and, and hold on to these truths, maybe journaling would be for you. Lastly, it would be fasting. A fasting is a wonderful way to reveal the, the lust of your own heart. Whether it be food or television or social media for a season, what happens is that you realize that things are, are going on in your heart that, are, that you don't even know are happening every single day. But when you say no to certain things and you step back, you actually realize, man, I have an unhealthy love for that. And it's good for the soul. Whatever disciplines are helpful for you, remember the purpose is to keep your heart on fire for Christ. We do not want our love to grow cold. We want to fan the flame of the affection of our great Savior. We want to grow in godliness and be like Christ. Lastly, the big overheading uh, heading is fellowship. I'm basically taking you two books, uh, Don Whitney's uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life and David Mathis's Habits of Grace that are both 250 pages and giving it to you in, in, in 35 minutes, right? Much better than 46 minutes. 35 is my goal. <clears throat> fellowship, right? One of the failures, I think, in years past, or the last 20 uh, years, has been a lack of conversation about the church gathering, the gathering of the church as a discipline. Uh, the fellowship of the saints is a wonderful means of grace to help us grow in Christ. I would say the benefits of the body of Christ um, for our walk with Christ are incalculable. I, really would, I would stand by that. Acts chapter 2, you'll see this on the screen. The, 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 the first time we see the church gathering. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And the breaking of bread and his prayers. They all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done but through the apostles. And all who believed were together and all had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The early disciples were devoted to the gathering, devoted to the fellowship of 
the saints. They did not merely come to hear the doctrine devoted to the, the apostles' teaching, but they came to, to be with the saints. We, 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 we come every time we gather to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day is drawing near. God wants to use you in your life for the good of your brothers and, and sisters. When we gather, God wants us to be a means of grace to encourage others to hold fast to the Lord Jesus Christ. God wants his church together. Can I encourage you to make the gathering of the saints a priority? We gather Wednesday nights to pray, Sunday morning and Sunday school to meet around the word of God and discuss the scriptures. We spend a great time singing God's praises together, hearing his word, praying. And we gather Sunday night for fellowship and more to hear a testimony and, and, and hear more of God's word and, and different doctrines. You know, listen, life is busy. Kids get sick. Families visit. Some of you can't drive at night. All caveats aside, okay? Just put all those caveats out there. We know there are many important things in life, but there is nothing, hear me, nothing more important than growing in godliness. There is nothing more important in your life than to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has given you the church so that you can be formed into the image of Christ. It holds promises for the present life and also the life to come. The church was purchased through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was given as means of grace for the saints. It's a precious gift. We should not neglect the gathering of the saints. We'll make it a top priority in our lives. I'm so grateful how many of you do that. That you sacrifice things with your family to, to, to be here. Not only to be here, but to encourage others to hold fast to Christ while you are here. And although I'm encouraged by many, there are others that I, I think would benefit by spending more time in the gathering of the saints. That you would actually become more godly if you were committed to fellowship. I mean, if the church is a means of grace, if God has given it so that you could become godly, what would your spiritual life look like if you gave yourself to all the gatherings? How much more would you grow in godliness if you prioritize the gathering of the saints? Now hear me, my, my intent is not to guilt you into church, right? That is a horrible thing. It is a horrible thing to guilt anybody to do anything. But I want you to see the value and the beauty and the majesty of the means of grace that God has given you in the gathering of the saints. Because God wants to become like him. And he says, here are my people. Gather together so you can become like me. Your gathering here may not be primarily for you. God may want you here for the sake of others. But you can encourage them to hold fast to Christ. As pastors, when we get together and figure out how do we disciple our people, and we're responsible for the discipleship of our people, and how do we help these people grow in godliness, become mature in Christ? Every service has its function. For example, tonight, if you come back at 6 o'clock and, and brave the cold and, and say no to football, which would be hard and challenging to do during playoff time, what you're going to hear is you're going to hear a, a testimony of a new couple in our church. 
It's going to help you know them so you can help them help love them. You're going to hear someone lead music for a second time who God may be gift to do that for his for his career. And you're going to learn what makes a Baptist church unique all tonight. Besides that, our kids are going to be learning the, the great truths of God's word by writing the great hymns upon their hearts. That's not including the 20 minutes beforehand and conversation and encouragement and the 30 minutes or hour afterward when you're talking and encourage each other. Now, there's no mandate in the scripture that you have to attend every service, right? So I'm not saying that. But the gathering of the saints is a mean to godliness. This coming year, 2018, what if you gave yourself in all things to grow in godliness, become more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let me conclude. We are all pilgrims, right? We're all pilgrims on our way to glory. Uh, Jonathan Edwards once wrote a sermon titled The Christian Pilgrim, where he writes of the highest good of all Christians. This is what he writes. The enjoyment of him, of God, is our highest happiness. And is the only happiness with our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven, fully to enjoy God, is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers, mothers, husbands, and wives, or children, or the company of any of our earthly friends. These are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. So how can we arrive at this ocean of God? We must take the highways built by God, spiritual disciplines that lead us to Christ, the true essence of godliness. Paul told Timothy, train yourself for godliness, for bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value for all things, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For this end, we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially for those who believe. So my dear believing friends, I pray that you would set your hope on the living God, that you would toil and strive for godliness, for it does hold promise for the present life and the life to come. Use spiritual disciplines to drink from the fountain of Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would grow in godliness. We pray that you would train and discipline us so that we would be a godly congregation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.